Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. I've done some scary things in my life. I've run into burning buildings. I've stood on the freeway while the cars whizzed by at a high speed, just a few feet away. I sat on top of the, of the old Everson Bridge and sprayed water on the burning railroad trestle. I've flown in a military helicopter sitting by the door with only a quick combat release seatbelt to hold me in. I was on a firing range when a police officer's gun exploded and part of it whizzed by my head. Whizz. I've taken 25 teenagers on a five-day wilderness hike in the rain on the Washington coast. I've taught junior high boys Sunday school with 13 boys in the furnace room of a church. I've asked a man for permission to marry his daughter. I've ridden in a taxi cab in Accra, Ghana. Shoot, I've just been to Accra, Ghana. <laughs> but none of those is as challenging as preaching the whole counsel of God including today's text from Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones." For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see she respects her husband. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke from this passage to the husbands and talked about what it means to be a spiritual leader in your home. And today, I want to talk to wives and to future wives and talk about what it means to be a spiritual follower in your home. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And I want to try to understand this in, in, in some of the ways that perhaps we don't talk about it often enough. And the first is simply this. Submission follows the primary command of Christianity. Submission follows the primary command of Christianity. And they say, well, isn't the primary command that we believe in Jesus as our Savior? Well, it is, but there's actually something a little more primary the way Jesus put it. He said, if anybody desires to come after me or follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said this is a primary rule, a primary requirement for Christianity. And I would put it very simply this way. Submission requires self-denial, or excuse me, I should say salvation. That's uh, my typo there. It should say salvation requires self-denial. And here's what I mean 
based on this verse from Jesus. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You cannot accept Christ, you cannot receive Christ, you cannot believe in Christ, put faith in Christ, get saved, be born again, whatever word you want to use. You cannot do it unless you're willing to say, I cannot save myself. You cannot become a child of God if you're not willing to say, I am a sinner. I am not good enough to go to heaven on my own. That is the self-denial that Jesus was talking about. You cannot save yourself. There is not a little spark of good in you which just needs to be fanned into a flame of eternal salvation. I wish that was the case. In fact, when I look at you, you all look like pretty nice people. But Jesus said the way to salvation... Salvation requires self-denial. You have got to come to the point where you say, I can't do it, but Jesus can, and so I'll put my faith in Him. We need to repent of our own self-sufficiency in order to come to salvation. The multiplication of false religion leaves no conclusion but this. People would rather work their way to heaven, one way or the other, than they would to deny themselves and put their faith in Christ. Salvation requires self-denial, but not only that, but sanctification. Sanctification is, is the Bible word, if you will, for growing up in Christ. The root word sanctify means literally to be set apart. We have hymn books here. They're, they're for special use, if you will. They're, they're for church use. They aren't for sticking under music stands that are crooked. We do that once in a while, but that's not their purpose. Their purpose is for you to sing and to praise God and to read scripture from or whatever. They are set apart for a special purpose. You are set apart for a special purpose. That is to be holy unto God. And that's what sanctification means. And if that's going to happen, it will require self-denial. Look at Ephesians. Let's go back one verse from Ephesians 5.22 in fact, let's go back to verse 18 to get the full feel of it. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. This is a, a primary concept in Christianity that many of us are, are aware of. We are to be controlled by the Spirit of God, not by wine or any other physical substance. The result of being controlled by the Spirit will be, verse 19, that we will speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We will sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. That we will give thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. And we will, verse 21, submit to one another in the fear of God. Now what's interesting is, the word submit is not in verse 22. Now before you go running off and saying, see, I knew we didn't have to do that. Here's the way it reads in the Greek text. that He starts at verse 18 and these other things flow out of it. One of them being submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives to husbands. And then he goes down to verse chapter 6, children obeying parents. It's a little different word there. And then verse 5 of chapter 6, bond servants or employees to employers. And so the whole context, the whole context of the spiritual life that he's talking about involves submitting relationships. Nobody is a boss unto themselves in their whole life. 
It's just not that way in any part of the world, much less in the Christian world. We are to submit to one another. What does it mean to submit to one another? I think John MacArthur captures the essence of it very well when he says this. The filling and control of the Holy Spirit will lead us to a spirit of humility. A spirit of humility to the spirit that gives us the desire to seek the welfare of others before our own and to be mutually submissive. To submit to one another, I think the essence of it is to say, do you have a need? Because if you do, then that's what I need to focus on. I need to help you. I may have a desire, but you've got a need. And so there is this mutual submission. Now, there may come a time down the road when I have a need, and you need to care for me. We, we care for each other. It's a mutual submission. And so the, the thing that's important for uh, the ladies that are among us today to understand is what God calls you to do is an extension of what he calls every Christian to do. It is not a unique thing only for a Christian wife. Submission is, flows out of the basic concepts of Christianity. If we were to try to define what does it mean to submit to your husband, I would say this, submission means your goal is to support the leadership of your husband. As I talked to the men a couple of weeks ago, uh, being a leader in a Christian home does not mean you are the boss and you get to tell everybody what to do according to your own whims. The spiritual leader in the home is trying to help his family toward Christ-likeness, toward Christ-like character. And so he leads them for their good toward Christ-like character. The wife's role in that process is to support or to encourage or to help her husband in that process. And so a, a husband and wife relationship in the Lord will look different perhaps in every Christian home because they may work these details out in different ways, but the basic concept is one of the wife helping the husband in his leadership of the home. And this goes all the way back to the creation of Eve. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. I will make him a helper who is comparable or suitable to him. The idea of comparable in that verse is that they are a matched set. Men, if you didn't know this, there are some things you need to learn from your wives, your wife. Ooh. <laughs> Man, you need to learn from your wife. There we go, singular, singular, got it. <laughs> if you've got more than one wife, you've got a lot of things to learn. <laughs> and women... You need to understand this. You, there are some things you need to learn from your husband. Adam was not complete alone, and neither was Eve. We are a match set in God. And we need to, we need to embrace that. We can either be enraged by the differences between us or enriched. We can say, my wife has a strength, I have a strength, and we help each other. God intends for us to learn from each other. Within that learning relationship, God intends for husbands to lead and women to follow, wife, the wife to follow. 
In 1 Timothy 2, we read this, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. I don't want to talk about the church aspect of this, but just to look at that, when God gives a reason for men being in leadership in the church, the reason he goes to is creation order. Now, if you're like me, when you read that, you think, so? I think, what's the big deal? He had to do one or the other. And I hope you think I'm not being disrespectful. I mean, you know, God could have flipped a coin and said, well, I'll create man first. But God doesn't flip a coin. God doesn't do anything by accident or randomly. And so in God's mind, for some reason, he created man first. And what that tells me is God's plan for the family predates creation. And it predates sin. God intended for men to be in leadership in their home even before there was sin in the human race. That was his plan. Why? Well, when you get to heaven, you can ask him. Because beyond this, he doesn't explain it. This is creation order. And so in God's mind, that, that is important. And so we must embrace it as important also. Secondly, um, God's plan for the family reflects his character. God's plan for the family reflects his character. What part of his character am I talking about? For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And then later in the same passage, let all things be done decently and in order. Do you suppose that God is ever up in heaven and he looks down on earth and says, you human beings, you just do whatever you like. You can have a church and do it any way you want. You can have a family and do it any way you want. Do you suppose God just turns us loose? No, he does not. He has a plan for the family that reflects his character. And the element of his character that I would challenge you to think about here is this. God does things in an orderly fashion. Therefore, when he said, I'm going to create the family, he said there's going to be a leader, and there is going to be a supporter of the leader, and then there are going to be learners from those two. And the husband and the wife will cling to each other. They will be a new family unit. They will have children. And in time, those children will cling to others and form other family units. And in that process, a husband will lead and a wife will support his leadership. And there will be order in the family. One of the questions I would ask you today if you, especially if you have struggled to follow God's plan for leadership of the husband and followership of the wife, is, is there order and peace and calm in your family? If there is not, there needs to be a resurgence of, of focus on the roles that God has given us. And if you're trying to live out those roles and there's still not peace, then maybe there's something wrong in the way you're living them out. And maybe some of these points that follow will help you with that. Because one of the things we have to understand is this. Submission does not infer weakness in women. Nowhere does God say women are not quite as good as men, and so I'm going to put men in leadership. Again, the reason he gives is he said, I have decided to create men first, and he did, and there it is. 
Submission does not infer weakness in women. I've been reading through the Bible, as some of you have, with that, uh, with that book that organizes it day by day, and, and so I'm discovering new things along the way. And by the way, if you don't know it, every time you read the Bible, at least in my experience, which isn't that long so far, you can constantly discover new things. One of the things that I discovered was the example of Joshua in being a number two guy, in being a follower, not a leader. You know, when you think of Joshua, you're probably thinking of Joshua, fit the battle of Jericho when the walls came tumbling down. You're thinking of Joshua, the great military general. But what about this? The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. Moses would return to the camp, but his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. If you go back and read the story of Moses and pay a little closer attention, you'll see that Joshua was his servant. How'd you like to be called a servant? You're the servant of your boss. Chuck is a public servant. <laughs> In scriptural terms, he's the slave of his boss. <laughs> he was a servant. Did that mean he was kind of a loser? Is that why he was the servant of Moses? Because he was kind of a loser? Well, there's nothing else he can do. We'll make him Moses' personal assistant. What kind of guy do you suppose they choose to be the personal assistant, assistant of the deliverer of God's people? Well, the kind of guy who later on is sent to spy out the land with 11 other guys and comes back and says, yeah, there's giants there, but we can take them. And the people picked up stones to stone him and Caleb. That's the kind of guy that was the assistant, that was the servant to Moses. Is there anything demeaning about that for, for, uh, for Joshua? No, there's not. There's nothing demeaning about that at all. There's another example that I would ask you to look at, and that's the example of Jesus. And maybe you haven't thought this through all the way, but we read these words of his experience. He was withdrawn from them, from the disciples, about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed in the garden. And he said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Did Jesus get to do exactly what he preferred? No, he did not. He preferred not to go through the pain and suffering of the cross in his human nature, but he submitted to the will of God the Father. Does that demean him? Does that make him less of a man? No, it does not. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Ladies, submission does not infer weakness or lack of character or lack of ability or quality or anything of the sort. Jesus submitted to God the Father's plan. Within the Godhead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is a functional authority structure. A functional authority structure. It has nothing to do with their equality as all being equally God. God the Father is not more God than Jesus or the Holy Spirit. They are all equally God, and yet within the Trinity, they work in a functional relationship. 
And that's something we have to understand as Christians. We are equal as Christians. We are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, and that's the spirit baptism when we accepted Christ as our Savior, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Men and women are equally Christian, but we have different roles to play in the home and in the church. And the church is that way as well. You and I are equally Christian. I'm no more Christian than you are. We often say the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Everybody comes to Christ the same way. We're all equal before Christ. This last week, the elevator stopped working. And I did what any smart pastor does after I looked at it and went, hmm, it's broken. I called the chairman of the trustees, Jerry Ward. And Jerry came down the next day and fiddled around, figured out what was wrong with it, and fixed it. And not only saved us several hundred dollars in a service call, and, uh, but, but that's his role in the body of Christ. He doesn't stand up here and preach. Does that mean he's less of a Christian or less of a member of the body than me? Absolutely not. We are equal before God. His service to fix the elevator is just as valuable, and God will reward him for that as God will reward me. I have to be diligent in my work here. He has to be diligent in his work there. And we all serve God together. But functionally, I have a leadership role that's different than his role. And that's the way it is in the home. Men and women are equal before God, and yet God says, I want somebody to lead, and I want the wife to support his leadership, and I want the children to obey, which is a stronger word, and we'll talk about that next week. We are equal in the Lord. Submission does not infer weakness or any deficiency in women. There is a challenge, though, with submission, and that is this. Submission conflicts with the natural sinful desire of a wife. And in this, we understand from Genesis chapter 3 that women have a particular sinful challenge that men don't have. And it's not because women were created with a weakness, it's because of the curse of God. To the woman, to Eve, after she sinned willfully, this was God's punishment on her. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Wouldn't you ladies like to have a little talk with Eve about that? <laughs> you know what the truth is that's important to remember though, ladies and men? Adam and Eve were created without sin. That means they had no natural desire for sin. They had a desire for some other things that led them to sin. But they were created without sin, and, and they, were, they were physically perfect. They were flawless at that point in their, in, their, in their spiritual life. They were put into a perfect world, a perfect environment. It was never too hot, and it was never too cold. And it was perfect food all around. And what did they do? What did they do? They sinned. And so don't ever be tempted to get too angry at Eve because I think if you were put in that same location, you would do the same thing. I think that's the essence of Romans chapter 5, that 
Adam and Eve sinned just like every other human being would. That's why we're in the mess we're in. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now that sounds a little bit good, sort of like, yeah, I desire a husband, I want to be married. And that's not what it's saying. If you go to chapter 4, verse 7, you read about God saying to Cain, Sin lies at the door, Cain, and its desire is for you, but you should master it. There's a clear inference in this word that the temptation that lies before women because of the curse of God is a temptation to want to rule the husband. And God says, but that is not going to be my will. My will will be for him to rule over you. What that means, ladies, is you have a temptation in this area. You have a challenge to deal with. Again, I would read from John MacArthur because I think he captures this sinful problem on both the male and the female side. Listen what he says. With the fall, with the fall, with the sin of Adam and Eve, came the distortion, the distortion of women's proper, submissive, proper submissiveness and the distortion of man's proper authority. Women have a sinful inclination to take the man's authority, and men have a sinful inclination to put the women under their feet. The divine decree that man would rule over the woman in this way was part of God's curse on humanity, and it takes a manifestation of grace in Christ by the filling of the Holy Spirit to restore the created order and harmony of proper submission in a relationship that has become corrupted and disordered by sin. Oh, I love that. It takes a work of grace to restore the harmony and balance of what God intended. God always intended for men to lead and for women to follow, but when sin came in, it became a conflict. It became the battle of the sexes. But it's possible to live at peace and harmony in the Spirit of God. That's the great truth of Ephesians 5. In fact, that's the greater truth of Ephesians 5, greater than this family truth. The greater truth is the Holy Spirit can be in you and He can help you to live in these godly ways. Ladies, the reason you struggle with wanting to take the lead is that there is a habit of sin that is still challenging you. And I say that in the kindest possible way. I do not, and, and I hope you can understand the way I'm trying to share this with you today. My concern is for your joy in the Lord. And the way that that comes is by following God's plan. Submission conflicts with the natural sin nature of a wife. There is God's curse, and then there is our excuses. The excuses are the things that we use to try to justify living out the curse. My husband is, my husband is lazy. Frankly, I think this is a greater temptation to most men than the temptation to dominate. I think in our society, there are fewer men dominating their wives and more men sitting back going, whatever, dear. If mama ain't happy, ain't no one happy. Well, I hope you know that ain't in the Bible. Okay? And that is not good enough. Peace at any price is not God's plan for the family. 
My husband's lazy. He won't lead, so I have to. Really? If your husband won't lead, then you need to just trust God to give leadership, and you need to stay following your husband. How about this? My husband is self-centered. My husband is self-centered. I have to take what I can get when I can get it. If I just support my husband and follow him, he'll never meet my needs. I have no doubt that there are men like that out there. I would say that's also a great temptation for men. And since I am one, I think I know whereof I speak. It's real easy to be self-centered. It's real easy to see your life as being harder than your wife's life. Well, you know, yeah, she works, but, you know, I really work, you know. Well, yeah, she's home taking care of the kids, but I have to go out and work. You know, and probably these days we're smart enough not to say that, but that doesn't mean we don't think it, and it's wrong. But my point today is to preach to you ladies and say, ladies, if your husband is lazy, you need to keep trusting God. I'm going to come to that in a minute. And then, of course, the third excuse is my husband is unsaved. My husband's unsaved. He won't give any leadership, so I have to do it. Listen to 1 Peter 3.1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, that is the word of God, they without a word from your mouth may be won by the conduct of their wives. That is specifically addressed to wives who have unsaved husbands. And if your husband is unsaved, that does not excuse you from submitting or following his leadership and supporting his leadership. In fact, it gives you a greater burden of responsibility. I believe what God is telling us is your husband never will come to the Lord unless you button your lip about spiritual things in particular and stop badgering and nagging and whining and follow his lead and do so, as the rest of the passage says, with grace. And we'll look some more at that in just a minute. Submission conflicts with a natural sinful desire of a wife. Submission teaches women that they have to be very careful in selecting a mate. I'm just going to make this point very briefly because I, to me it's self-explanatory, but I want to make sure you don't miss the point. If you're a young girl here today, or if you're an unmarried woman here today of any age, you should be thinking real hard about the guy you're going to marry and saying, am I willing to follow this man? In fact, I would say this, if you want to have successful relationships at any level, whether it is a casual friendship where you go out for ice cream once in a while or, or you're getting ready to get married, if you want to find a man with whom you will have a joyful relationship, you purpose to be submissive and you purpose to find a guy who is leadership material. Because if he's not a leader in a godly way when you are dating, it will get worse. Pastor Larry taught me something very important. He was talking to a woman who was having a very abusive kind of engagement. And he said to the woman, you know, he's on his best behavior now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every man is on his best behavior when he is dating or courting or engaged. And if what he's doing now isn't good enough for marriage, you better not marry him. Because it will not get better immediately. Now, I believe anybody can change in Christ. I believe that. But if you're marrying him, he thinks he's okay already. And that's why when you get married, he won't keep on dating you and courting you. He says, well, I already did that. We got married. Everything's fine, right? 
You need to think real hard about the guy you're going to marry. And young men, if you're unmarried, I need to say to you, you need to make yourself leadership material, spiritually speaking. You want to be a great husband, a great father, a great lover to your wife? Make yourself into a leader according to God's plan. Submission teaches women they ought to be very careful in selecting a mate. Number six, and this is, this is maybe the most important thing that God's going to share with us today. I don't know what you needed to hear, but this is so important. Submission allows women to rest in God's control. One of the great things that Jesus said he wanted to give to us was peace. And he said, I want to give you peace, not like the world gives. What is the world's kind of peace in marriage? Here's what it's like, ladies. It's when you marry a Christian James Bond. He always is dressed perfectly. You don't need to give him any fashion tips. His hair is perfect, and he treats you respectfully. But a Christian one, so he won't take advantage of you before you get married. But after marriage, he always opens the door, and he provides, and he runs off into the world and does all this stuff. And you're all thinking, oh, glory to God, if I could just marry a man like that. You did. He does carry a gun. Praise God that you would even say so. It's a real temptation to think if I could just get to a perfect man, my life would be perfect. I got news for you. If you find a perfect man, don't marry him. You know why? Because you ain't a perfect woman. But if you could say, you know what, God? I am, I am needy. I am self-centered but I am going to trust in you. I am going to lay down my self-centeredness, and I'm going to trust in you. Look at the example we have. I, I feel like I finally understood this for the first time this week as I study these verses. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also, the, the, the Old Testament women, they adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, Whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid of any terror? Abraham was a lousy husband. You know how I know that? Two times he said, now dear, we're going to get in a tight spot here. And I'm going to tell them you're my sister. Because if I tell them you're my wife, they'll kill me and take you. Now who was Abraham concerned about? Himself. And so he goes along and he says, now king... My lovely sister here, boy, she's a beauty. In fact, I'd like to take her into my harem. And did Abram at that moment say, oh, king, I lied to you. No, Abraham said, Lord bless you. And when did the king find out about this? When God gave him a vision, and God, this is an ungodly king, and, and, and God says, hey, buddy, don't you touch that woman. Because that is Moses' wife. God had to intervene and protect Mo, uh, uh, Abraham's wife. God had to intervene and protect him because Abraham was such a schmuck. But look what she did. Do you understand that? She committed herself to God and said, Okay, Abraham, I don't think this is the way to go. She trusted 
She trusted God. Do you see that? She trusted God. Ladies, who are you trusting to meet your needs? Now, I understand in a godly Christian relationship, God should be using your husband to meet some of your needs. I understand that. I believe that. And if I'm ever talking to your husband, person to person or from this pulpit, I'll be telling him to work on that. But that does not relieve you of the responsibility to seek the peace of God by trusting in God, no matter what the condition of your husband is. Because he might be great today, but he might be incapacitated tomorrow. He might not be able to provide for you tomorrow. And then what are you going to trust in? You've got to trust in God. That's what God is calling us to. Ladies, he is calling you to say, okay, God, I, boy, I don't like not being in control. But I am going to let go, not because my husband is a great man. Maybe he is, but even if he is a great man, I'm going to let go and I'm going to take a hold of your hands. That's what God wants Christian Women, godly women to do. Abraham was not a great husband, but Sarah had a great God. Now, did that work out for Sarah in the long run? Yes, it did, ladies. God protected her in the short run, if you will, and in the long run she became the, father, the, the mother of the, of the nation of Israel. What's the challenge for us today, ladies? Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. For some women, to follow some men, it will be a very humbling experience. Whether that is a justified humility or, or just in your own mind, it doesn't matter. God is calling you, ladies, to humility. To say, I am not great enough to control, to maintain, to run my family. I'm going to lay that down and I'm going to take a hold of God's hands and I'm going to trust Him to exalt me in His time. And in my experience, and of course this is given to all Christians, not just to, not just to wives, but in my experience, God is well able to exalt us in a very good and meaningful way, both now and I am sure he will be able to do so in the life to come. There is a story of a, a man many years ago when airplanes were fairly new. They still had two wings. And boy, he just thought mankind was not made to fly. And he just talked on and on about how stupid that was and how terrible that was and how unsafe those things were and you need to keep your feet on the ground. And finally, on about his 80th birthday, his kid said, I'll go for a little airplane ride and just see what it's like. And so he did. He got in the airplane and took his little ride and came back down. When, he got, when they got down, they said, well, how was it? He said, well, it was okay. Did you feel safe? Yeah, I did, because I never put my weight down completely. <laughs> Ladies, I want to challenge you to put your weight down completely on God. Just completely. Just say, okay, God, I, I surrender. I give it up. I'm just going to trust you. Heavenly Father, help us all to put our weight down completely on you today. You call each of us to be humble in different ways in different times, and that's always hard. You call each of us to trust you 
And sometimes that's very hard, and sometimes it's a little hard, but it's always a challenge. Father, help us to do that. Help us to put our weight down completely on you today. I pray in Christ's name, amen.